0: But first up on today's show, identity, belonging, having agency are all universal themes in this thing called life. At the core of that searching is understanding who we are, our personal identity. In her new memoir called Raceless, journalist, speaker, and author Georgina Lawton documents her own personal journey of what it means to gain a sense of self. Lawton was raised by a white Irish and English family in a not very diverse London suburb. Race was never mentioned in her household as she was growing up, despite the fact that Lawton's biological father was black. I got to speak with her about the search for and claiming her black identity while navigating the complicated relationships with her family.
1: I wrote it to make sense of who I was, to attack stigma and shame around identities that are formed in spaces that are hard to describe and I wrote it because I was trying to make sense of of the world and it was a book that I would have benefited from reading growing up so you know I found that there was space for these kind of conversations around race and identity and they weren't being explored perhaps in depth um, in the ways that I would have liked so Yeah, I wanted to bring my perspective on these issues to the world and help other people who have been struggling with their own identities as well.
0: So take us behind your story of growing up in England and growing up being told that you were you're white and not black and how that the family and the struggles that you went through growing up. Kind of take us through that journey of of how it began to take hold in your mind and become more and more of a pressing issue of finding out who you really were.
1: I guess it wasn't a recurring thing that I was told, you know, week after week. It wasn't this sort of deliberate psychological brainwashing. Um, I actually had a really content childhood and hands-on parents and, you know, lots of homework help and hugs and all of that. But this unspoken truth was just there and it was me dealing with it and that was you know why I didn't look like the rest of my family. So as a child I tried to work out why that was but I didn't have the emotional capabilities to do that. I could see that I had darker skin, I had you know I had curly hair. Um I could see that my family was white and that I was not but I didn't really understand race and its meaning because it was it was never explained to me. And as a child, like I I say this in the book, I wanted to belong so I just stopped asking questions as urgently until, you know, we would go into new spaces because I had an Irish family. They were all white and I had an English family. They're all white and we grew up in a very white suburban part of London. And, you know, I was the only black girl in my junior school. When I stepped beyond my white community and, and you know, everything that I knew, that was when I'd meet new people like friends on holiday or, you know, I got to 14 and I'd start venturing into more diverse parts of London, you know, like sneaking up to you know Camden markets and all these exciting places in central London at the weekends and then I'd always have to reintroduce myself and obviously all my friends I've had for years would just say oh that's the girl with white parents you know that's her story and they'd always defend me but when I went to more diverse parts of London I'd have to reintroduce myself and people would assume that I was mixed or biracial or East African or whatever it is and I had to constantly keep defending not only myself but my family story and it just began to get really tedious and you know as you reach your mid teens you're trying to work out more about who you are and sort of situate yourself in in a narrative so you can you know progress into adulthood with confidence and i was just finding that a little bit more difficult perhaps than some of my other friends who knew their background and who knew with certainty who their parents were and i always had this sort of little voice in my head like maybe it doesn't make sense maybe it's not quite right but you know i had such a loving family i didn't want to disrupt that so i guess i sort of became complacent in this this silence or this this lie, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, when I was in my mid-teens, I was getting asked more and more frequently to qualify my appearance. And by the time I got to eighteen, you know, I went to university and I had to reintroduce myself to loads of new people. And everyone assumed that I I knew of my black heritage or that I was proud of it. And I I was neither of those things. You know, I didn't know where I was from, and I certainly wasn't proud of being black because that had never been instilled in me. So I just found it increasingly difficult and. Yeah, I think university was the catalyst for making making changes and digging deeper. And then when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, that sort of set the cogs whirring. And I decided that I would find out one way or another whether he was, you know, in my life or whether I waited till he passed away. I was going to find out who I was related to and why it wasn't getting spoken about. But I didn't actually, you know, process this DNA test result that he gave me permission to take until 2016 and that was a year after he passed away and then you know I got the results back that said we weren't related and my world sort of fell apart again because I'd already lost you know this amazing affectionate dad who accepted me without question and then I had to sort of realize that we weren't related and it was like I'd lost him all over again so that was the the very beginning of that journey of trying to work out who I was you know why It had gone unspoken about for so long. And that set me off on a journey of travel and, you know, talking to my mom, taking more DNA tests. Yeah, eventually writing this book.
0: And I'm so sorry about the loss of your father. You know, the way you describe the story of growing up, especially becoming a teenager and, and you getting out of the home environment and the neighborhood environment and into these new situations. I think a lot of people can relate, if not to the racial aspect of it, to the aspect of like the outside world, realizing who you are before you begin to realize who you are, you know, and I'm thinking of kids who are, you know, I, on, on the LGBTQ spectrum or something like that. And, you know, they like they are embraced by their family, they're loved by their families. But it's only until the, the outside world holds up that mirror and then you're supposed to say, oh, maybe that's myself. Mm. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's lots of theorists that talk about what it means to have a cohesive personal identity, whether that's racial or sexual or, you know, just everybody has their view of the world and how they believe the world to see them. But when the two don't match up, so how you see yourself is different to how the world sees you then you know there's a jarring and there's a massive question mark over you know who actually am i because people are telling me i'm one thing but then i'm going home and i'm being told i'm another and i just constantly had that contradiction of two or three opposing views of myself and i think that made me a lot more defensive and a lot more guarded and you know i've always been confident but it was sort of a fake confidence that i had to enact in order to protect myself because people would always make jokes about you know, your mum was with the postman, or you need spec savers, You don't know if you're black, and you know I heard all these jokes all the time growing up, and I'd always um, draw upon this this confidence or this defensiveness to sort of protect myself and also protect the family narrative that I was situated in. Because yeah, that's self-preserving. That's what kids want to do. They don't want to be told that they don't belong with the people that have raised them, especially when they've had an otherwise happy upbringing. So it was just sort of something that I would do to ensure that, yeah, I stayed with my family and that nobody could sort of challenge my place with them. But I think looking back, I was definitely carrying a lot of heavy weight around not fitting in and not knowing, you know, the true, not knowing sort of the, the truth around my origins definitely had had an effect on me looking back.
0: The thing you said there about defending the family narrative, I think is also something a lot of people can, can relate to. Uh, when you begin to question the overarching family story there can be a lot of friction if not you know uh, you know outright fights or pain from others in the family was that something that you experienced as when you took this dna test
1: yeah for sure like you know my mom didn't want me to get the test processed at first because of course she knew what would come out and when i was doing the test i was worried about my dad's family who have always accepted me I was worried about what they would think and whether they would perhaps reject me because, you know, had they known all along that I wasn't their biological granddaughter or, or, you know, niece. And they had known, but they hadn't spoken about it with my dad and they hadn't spoken about it really between themselves. It was just everyone was taking their cues from my parents. So, of course, when I got these DNA tests, I was scared about upsetting people, but I had to, you know, put everybody else, second because nobody had prioritized me and my identity and my sense of self in this situation so I really had to let go of the fear and the shame that had sort of been you know projected onto me growing up because there was silence about who I was and that made me as a child think there was something wrong with me because okay someone's not nobody's actually addressing this fundamental part of me nobody's actually naming this part of my identity and I'm, I'm looking at other black people on the TV or other kids that I eventually met at secondary school and they had this innate pride in that part of their heritage and I could see that we looked a bit similar but I just wasn't getting the answers so yeah of course it was really scary to actually go and process a DNA test with no encouragement from from anyone in my family you know actual discouragement from my mum but I just I yeah I had to sort of let go of of that fear and just attack it head on
0: you know and, and i'm wondering too like when you decided to take this dna test and then got the results which were that you were 43 nigerian when you found that the dna results was there a sense of relief for you
1: i wouldn't say relief i would say more initial disappointment actually at having this nebulous nonsensical story that had just been mine and then suddenly being told it was just like everybody else's like oh okay of course it's the the most logical option is that your mum had an affair of course you've got west african genes because that's the largest port from which so many people were taken um hundreds of years ago and there's so many nigerians or people of nigerian heritage in london so it was all like oh (laughs) it was like slightly anticlimactic at first. Um, and then it took me a while to really settle into that and accept it because I had 23 years of, of not accepting that story. Um, and it's still something I battle with because when people say, where are you from? I'm like, oh, do you want the long version or the short version? Because I can tell you that I'm from Nigeria, but I'm not from there because I've never been. And I don't know any Nigerian relatives that are close enough to kind of teach me about the culture. That's something that a lot of people who've read Raceless have told me that they've grappled with, you know, that sense of dislocation when you're not just biracial, but maybe a second or a third generation Caribbean or West African, and you're living in a Western country and you're just not in touch with that part of your culture. And people ask you to qualify yourself in relation to that culture all the time. Um, For me, yeah, it's definitely been exacerbated because I've never had access to that culture and it's something that I hope to explore, but yeah, it's still taking me a while to settle into claiming that, you know, the specific country around my blackness. I'm very happy to be identified as black and British and Irish or, you know, black British or, but, you know, all of those labels I'm happy with because they still allow me some ambiguity. But when I start like really boiling it down to Nigeria, people ask so many questions and I just, I don't know anything about it yet. So that part is still a work in progress.
0: You in the, in the book talk about, I guess, not reclaiming, but claiming a black identity. What has that been like from the, from the inside for you
1: i think it was more a psychological readjustment of self than anything else because you know my race had always been there i called the book raceless because of that feeling of you know having your race ignored or i guess your racial identity misattributed which is definitely you know what happened to me by accident by my parents silence and what happened to the other people i've interviewed in the book that feeling of not having your race acknowledged can make you feel as if it doesn't exist. But of course, it was always there. I could always see myself. Um, I just didn't fully know what that meant because I didn't have that pride in who I was. So what I had to do was, yeah, start readjusting my psychology. And at first I was, you know, really deeply wounded by my mum's silence after I got these DNA test results. You know, like it was really, really difficult to be around her so I decided to leave I decided to move to New York because I wanted to live this sort of writer's dream in Brooklyn and I wanted to be in a black area so I, I looked at Brooklyn like you know I've been there before and I loved the vibe I love the people and you know I could have got the same experience in South London if I'd moved to say like Brixton when I was 21 but I really wanted to move far away and I put in the book that you know the state is so much more I think on one way you know it's it's a little bit more divided when it comes to to race but the conversation has moved forward at a quicker pace because of your your history and because of that legacy of slavery so you know they've got things in the Brooklyn Museum that are all these amazing exhibitions on black art i remember going to see Kehinde Wiley's amazing exhibition um on like masculinity and you know just everywhere i looked it was so much easier to to feel proud in my blackness because I could see it everywhere in parts of Brooklyn. You know, I was in bed and the cultural reference points that I was searching for were just, were just everywhere. And there's just that innate pride of, I think, that comes with being a black American that the UK has sort of got, but we don't have the same collective identity. So yeah, I just loved being in New York because people were so much more open with conversations on race and how they explored it in their their exhibitions and their music and stuff. And then when I was in New York, I remember reading a lot and, yeah, just really paying attention to the cultural output of other women that look like me, because i had been sort of leaning towards listening to different types of music as I was getting old. You know, I was like into Destiny's Child, I was into Shaggy, but like really searching for the kind of women who I wanted to be like. So listening to Solange, listening to, you know, who was I listening to Dan Kalella, um, giving myself the time to just really absorb A lot of art and literature by other black women was, you know, incredible, and that's something I'm still doing now. Like, you know, I'm getting into bell hooks, and I'm reading Toni Morrison. I'm catching up on a lot of literature that I just wasn't, I guess, aware of as a kid. Um, So it was just an ongoing process, and just learning to appreciate who I was by looking at the stuff around me that was created by women like me, and that just made me feel more comfortable in myself. And then with that, I was able to you know look after myself properly look after my my hair I actually got it braided for the first time I always tell people this I was 21 and I hadn't I hadn't braided it um properly because I was afraid that it would mark me out as too much of an outsider with all my white family around me and I remember feeling so nervous when I had to go home with a full head of braids when I came back from traveling but you know nobody cared because we already have a loving relationship it was just asking them to kind of play catch up as I was on this journey. And that was really hard at first.
0: As you've claimed and explored this 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 uh, new identity, uh, have they become more interested at all in racial identity and in what it means to be Black and to understand you better?
1: Absolutely. Like I put in the book that me and my mum went to a lot of therapy when I came back from traveling. And I mean, like two years <laughs> of therapy every single week. Yeah, that was incredibly tough. We We learned a lot about each other. And I really had to put myself in my mum's shoes to see why she did what she did. And she had to learn to listen to me and really take in how much I carried as a result of her, her lie or her silence on this issue. So that was a really, really transformative experience for both of us. It was incredibly painful at times, draining as hell. But, you know, I moved home for a bit in the start of the first lockdown and I could see how much the therapy had helped us like we can live together and not every single conversation is centered around you know the pain of the last few years we can just be mother and daughter but then when stuff does come up like in the news I don't remember ever talking about race or political issues to do with people that look like me when I was a younger you know a young girl but I remember having conversations with her about George Floyd and she was angry on behalf of everybody else we were all angry but to hear her sort of talk with with such passion about these issues I was just like yeah really happy that she's she's tuned to them for for one and that she's on you know my side with a lot of my opinions that's really really great because we just weren't having those conversations growing up so yeah that's been great and also to see my brother who's a history teacher now like he's just bought a book on black history and I'm really proud that he's like super woke and <laughs> is teaching his kids all about the ills of the British Empire, which I keep saying, you know, we've got to tell them not everything was good about the British colonial past. And he's like, no, no, don't worry. I tell them how soul-destroying and destructive it was to be, you know, a colony of the British Empire. Because in the UK, like, we just collectively aren't able to talk about race, not in the way that I think, you know, you guys are adept at in the States. We're just a little bit slower, and we have this sort of perception that we're the good guys because we abolish slavery. Well, no, like we created it. So <laughs> we don't get to give ourselves a cookie, but you know, for getting rid of it before somebody else, because we're the ones that, that created it in the first place. So yeah, it's really good to have these conversations with, with my brother and-
0: Well, again, congratulations on the book, getting, uh, getting wonderful reviews uh, all over the place, uh, Raceless. Uh, one last question for you, writing this book and now it's published, it's out there your journey, your journey of self does a uh, continue after this?
1: Yeah, do you know what? I think everybody's does. I think especially as women, like you know, I read a lot about how people's identities change after motherhood and how they change again after kids leave the nest. And I think as women, we we have to be good at reinventing ourselves and being a little bit flexible with our identities. Um, but I think any person of colour and anyone who's got a, a minority identity, whether that's you know, queer or or any type of minority identity I think we'll we'll know a little bit more we'll be a little bit more fine-tuned to what that experience is like because we've been we've been shifting all our lives to to fit in but I'm hopeful now that with the conversations that we're having around different identities that we won't have to do as much shape-shifting in fact the world is going to catch up and learn to accept us as we are (laughs) it's an ongoing process for me but I'm a lot more comfortable in who I am
0: That's author Georgina Lawton. She's a former journalist for The Guardian and host of the podcast The Secrets in Us. Her new memoir called Raceless is out now and getting fantastic reviews. She's going to have a virtual book launch here in the U.S. It's going to take place tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. There is a link to it up right now at our Twitter page. At DET Culture Shift, you are listening to Culture Shift here on 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. And still ahead on the show, it's time for Sam's Jams with WDET's own Sam Bobian. This week, he brings us an eclectic world music mix featuring Gian Moreau and Fela Kuti. You're going to love it coming up uh, just after this. But next, we'll do the roundup here on 1019 WDET.